I'm R.J. Bell with the sports betting headlines for Wednesday. College football playoff odds come out, and the top of the leaderboard unchanged. The four favorites, Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Alabama is minus 150, better than even money. Next question, who isn't amongst the favorites? It should be. I don't know if they should be, but Cincinnati, 150 to 1. Coastal Carolina, 1,000 to 1. If you're not in the Power Five, you have no chance. We'll discuss. Big three games of the week. Kansas City by a field goal at New Orleans. Philly plus 6.5, Arizona. And Cleveland minus 4.5 at the Giants. Here comes a full hour of the Vegas Truth covering all that and more. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. 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 This is Straight Out of Vegas with the voice of Vegas, your host, R.J. Bell. The pregame show America has always wanted. I doubt the future. From the Vegas Strip, here's R.J. Bell. You heard it. I'm R.J. Live on a Wednesday, live in Las Vegas, live on 225 FSR stations across this great, great nation. In studio, special guest pretty much every Wednesday, Matty Holt, U.S. Integrity, former bookmaker, but we still like him, Steve Fezzik. Sports bettors listen for the money. Sports fans to know more than their buddies. We're the pros. He's the Joe in Los Angeles, Jonas Knox. Always good to be here, RJ. And yes, on a day in which we do what we usually do on a Wednesday, which is preview the three biggest games in the NFL. We've got some NBA stories starting to heat up around the league. What is the Vegas lead here on this Wednesday? Well, I'm going to start us off with the college football playoff decisions, and I'm going to be addressing specifically some Colin Cowherd comments. You know, Jonas, there are no sacred cowherds, <laughs> even at FSR, especially, or I think specifically with this show. We try to, you know, cold cash over hot takes. I think Colin's take leading off his show today, I don't want to call it crazy, but something like that. And the college football's latest playoff rankings came out on Tuesday night. Unchanged are the top four. Alabama sitting at one, followed by Notre Dame two, Clemson at three, and the Ohio State Buckeyes at number four. And the odds follow that exactly pretty much. And I think what's noteworthy is, and maybe I'll get a roundtable question to start here, Alabama is minus money, minus 150. Clemson three to one, Ohio State a little better than four to one. Notre Dame eight to one. The next favorite, the four, fifth favorite, outside the top four, Texas A&M fifty to one. So what we're saying here is, and this confuses me. And Fez, maybe you can get out the abacus. Based on the current line in the Alabama, or I'm sorry, check that the Clemson Notre Dame game. What are the odds that Notre Dame wins? And what are the odds that Clemson wins? Because my thinking is Notre Dame's odds are going to be such that 
it doesn't make sense that the next team is 50 because there's a chance that Clemson can win. So let's start there. What are or check that the Notre Dame can beat Clemson. So 23 percent. All right. So right now we're saying the, the the spread in the game is ten and a half. All right. So Clemson favored by ten and a half. Now I think we've all resigned ourselves that if Clemson wins and thus Clemson Notre Dame splits their two matchups, then Notre Dame is going to get in. Now we can debate that or not. But history, or I think the facts are telling us they're going to get in. But if you're saying there's over a 20% chance the Notre Dame sweeps, well, obviously they would get in. No one thinks Clemson would get in with two losses. No. So the question is, how is it 50 to what now? I get this isn't to get into the playoffs. This is rather to win the title. So let's think about this. Let's say A&M is the one somehow to get in. And, and I find that egregious. But let's say that they were. What would A&M's, and again, just open thought here, A&M against Alabama, what's the line? So, I mean, it's Alabama. If we just use recent games, it's Alabama right now, minus 17 and a half against Florida. We have to think it's going to be the same against Texas A&M. I say Alabama 17. I agree with that. Okay, so then the money line in that game would say to, to beat Alabama would be, what, about 10% chance? Yeah, they'd be a old, slightly over a 90% favorite. Okay. So what we're saying, and then obviously if you had to play, and we don't know what the path would be, but if you had to, but the theory is, what's interesting is the only way this happens is if Clemson's out. Correct. So that meant someone would play Notre Dame. Which or Northwestern beats Ohio State. Yes, which would obviously throw things into a complete tumult. So I guess in a way these non-top fours being – with such extreme odds, it's not so much they have some crazy small chance to get in. Rather, if they get in, they're going to have so little chance. Exactly, because they're going to more than likely have to face Alabama in the first round, so they'll have a gauntlet to get through the Final Four. But how does Notre Dame sit here at 8-1 to then? Because the assumption is if Notre Dame loses, they still get in. Let's assume that's 100%, which I think it pretty much is at this point. Agreed. They would have to then likely it'd be what Clemson and Alabama one and two. So they would they play Clemson? That'd be interesting, right? Oh, it'll be Alabama Notre Dame. You think Alabama would be fourth or one for sure, which I agree with. And Notre Dame, okay, would yeah. be four. That makes it. Now, would Notre Dame automatically be below Clemson? I guess if you're trying to say the non-Trevor Lawrence game doesn't mean as much. Correct. Okay, so at that point, then what would the line with Notre Dame and Alabama be? Twenty-one. Oh, no, no. We're going to say that that Notre Dame is equal with A&M. I think they're pretty close. So 17 or so? A little higher than 17, like 17 and a half, maybe even as high as 20. So we're saying like right now, they're all, even if we knew for sure they were getting in, which I think we do, Notre Dame would be less than 10% chance to beat Alabama to win the first, the first game. Correct. Assuming they lose to Clemson. Because they might not have to play Alabama first game. Okay, so if they, but they still got to play them yes. to, to win the <laughs> yeah. title. In theory. Yes. So really, what we're saying is these odds wouldn't be fair. You wouldn't want Notre Dame at eight to one, even heads up against Alabama for one game. No. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Correct. But, but you're only getting eight to one to win the title, which means they have to get in no matter what, and they'd have to win some other game other than Alabama. And still beat Alabama, and they're paying you less than they'll probably pay you just to play the money line 
in Notre Dame against Alabama. Those dastardly bookies. You know, I don't want to call Matt on the carpet. Cockroaches. Cockroaches, yeah. You got to defend your, your former brethren there. It's tough, right? <laughs> but but some of it's liquidity in the marketplace because that's code don't... for there's dumb enough people to take these odds. <laughs> no, I mean people don't want to lay the minus one fifty on Alabama, which let's face it, probably is the value here compared to what their money lines are going to be. They'd rather take the plus prices and the the sexy one that's undefeated that they know is going to get in. There's only two teams that are locked into the CFP right now, and that's Alabama and Notre Dame. So people scooped up all the 12, 16, 15 to ones, and and now the books have liability to Notre Dame. Yeah, but it's not really liability <laughs> if you're if if the odds of it happening are less than what you're laying, right? All right, we're straight out of Vegas. I'm R.J. Bell. So let's assume for a second that something drastic happens. Though that's unlikely. So Alabama is favored, Fez, by how much against Florida? 17. Okay. So very likely to win. Clemson's 10.5. We're assuming they're going to win against Notre Dame. Ohio State is? 21. 21. Now, if those three win, it's all over but the shouting. Yep. But if one of them loses, one of them, Alabama doesn't matter, you're saying, because they're in regardless, even with one loss. So if Clemson or Ohio State loses... Now there's a wild card coming in. Yes. Who is that? What is that? like right now it's saying AM. So do we really think if Florida beat Alabama, they'd get in with two, like with like a six and two record or whatever it would be? I don't think they get in. Even because though, they've lost to Texas AM heads up, so I don't think they could jump them. So we would have an SEC champ not be in for the first time. Yes. Okay. And then so AM, the theory is they don't even play in their conference championship game. But they would get in if somehow, let's say, Ohio State loses. I don't know that they're the first up, though, because I do think there is a possibility that the Big 12 champion could leapfrog them because you're going to talk about two top 11 teams playing each other. So Oklahoma 80 to 1, Iowa State's 100 to 1. But Texas AM only has one loss, and it was to Alabama. It would be very difficult not to keep them ahead of the Big 12. So that ultimately would be the debate. And let's assume it's not Alabama that loses. It'd be A&M as a non-conference even finalist against the Big 12 winner. Yep. That's the debate. Yes. Correct. Jonas, how does that sit with you? The part that's going to be awkward is if Alabama loses and they still get in, but the team that beats them for the SEC championship doesn't get in. That That's the part that gets a little awkward for me, and it makes me wonder if some of the positioning of some of these teams outside the top four, right outside the top four, why did Florida only drop a game, is the committee sort of saving themselves just in case something crazy happens. They're not taking a team from 11 and moving them all the way up. They can say, well, they were right outside the top 10, or right outside the top four, rather, and it makes it a little bit more viable of an argument on there and if they start moving people outside the top four into the top four yeah and, and i think that kind of thinking of move ahead manipulation yeah. is prevalent in yeah. these rankings because yeah. there's some irrational elements to him so i mentioned colin he, on the herd today right here on fsr he was talking about hey all you people crying about cincinnati quit your crying we know who the better teams are and it's like the, and then it's like, okay, I'm listening. It's like, how do I want to know too, right? Because I want to bet him. And he's like, the scores matter, kind of, but you got to watch the games. And it's like, okay, so you're saying this is fast out here, right? We're going to decide the score doesn't matter because there was this penalty or that penalty. But then here was the kicker. 
And here's what I disagree with Colin 128%. He says, and we got to look at the recruiting rankings because these kids know more than us. If you're some 48-year-old guy and you think you know more than these kids, then you're a fool. And these kids are saying that we don't want to go to Cincinnati. We want to go to Alabama. We want to go to Texas A&M, et cetera, Florida. And it's like, man, it's like it's rigged, meaning that no matter what happens on the field, the fact that the Blue Bloods, the Texas A&Ms, the Floridas, were able to get an advantage recruiting, if anything, that means the tiebreaker should go to the underdog. Yes. Right? It seems to me if you say A&M has every advantage, by they get their pick or almost their pick of the best players in Texas, or the, you know, Florida gets their pick of the best players, and you make the case with Florida, used to be Miami of Florida, Florida State and Florida all competing. Well, Miami's kind of competitive now. Florida State really isn't. You think Florida should be rolling, right? They have every advantage. But if somehow the computers say and the scoreboard says that Cincinnati's better, then we should not only not, I think, give the tiebreaker to the underdog, but we should somehow say, oh, we know the truth. And thus, whatever happens that goes against our assumptions of the truth, and that truth being the recruiting rankings, we got to almost look at it skeptically. We got to look at it with a grain of salt and say, nah, it doesn't really count. You couldn't have won. It's almost like Orwellian, right? 1984. Or it's a don't believe your eyes. Don't believe that Cincinnati has zero losses. Don't believe that Coastal Carolina has zero losses. Don't believe that whenever these types of teams do play the SEC in a bowl game, they tend to win at least half the time. At least. Because they're not trying. Don't believe your lying eyes. Believe the recruiting rankings, which here's a little alert about the recruiting rankings. My best buddy in the world has been in Big 12 football in one way or the other for like 20-plus years, all right? On the inside, associate AD type guy. Rivals and those kind of rankings, and it's nothing against rivals or any individual rankings. Literally, if there's a guy that's a three-star and Texas starts to recruiting, recruit this guy, he becomes a four-star instantly. It's because Texas is recruiting the kid. He has to be a four-star. So think about the circular logic now. We're going to believe that we know who the best teams are because they have better recruiting rankings, but the recruiting rankings are dictated by who recruits the players. Yeah. <laughs> the fix is in. And it's funny because I'm not one for the underclass. If anything, I think if it's a fair fight... I, I have no problem with someone winning. Like when someone says, oh, Jeff Bezos, he must be evil. He's got too many billions of dollars. I, there's nothing I hate more than that because I, I never want this country to somehow not be about merit. Right? If someone achieves something, if he does something wrong, he, you know, get him for it. If he doesn't, let's appreciate the value that was created. By definition, you should make money when you create value for other people. Colin makes a lot of money for FSR. Why? Because people want to listen to his show. Thus, it makes sense. He gets paid a lot of money. I think that's a wonderful thing. But let's not mix that up with there is no way for the underdog to win. And that we're going to decide. That's really what a rigged, and politically we've heard that term. It's rigged. The system is rigged. You know what? I think what if you really look at politics, what you see is that a lot of us who think we're not underdogs are actually underdogs. 
And the people with the real power, the real power, they aren't on TV. They're not out there trying to show you how much power they have. They wield that power behind the scenes silently. And one of their tricks is to let the middle class think they've got power. And then it's like, well, it's the middle class against the lower. No, no, no. In truth, the real power, when the chips are down, people you haven't even necessarily heard of, or if you have heard of them, a guy like Bezos, or, you know, obviously if you got billions, you got power. Why? Because you can buy it politically. And I think part of the game is them having the middle class or the aspirational people thinking, oh, you know, make sure that, 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 that there is uh, the, the underdogs don't get an unfair edge. When do the underdogs ever get an unfair edge? Right? Cincinnati, what would it take for Cincinnati hasn't lost a game this year. And their odds to win the title are 150 to 1. So you literally told them entering the year, you can do anything, you can play as well as if Michael Jordan played football, you could play that well as if everyone on your team was Michael Jordan in his prime, and you still don't make, I mean, what, if they won 80 nothing, would they have gotten in somehow? I don't understand why these teams even play if no matter what they do, they can't even get a chance to play for the title. Uh, maybe Maddie knows the answer to this, and I, I've just been thinking about this the past couple of weeks. If the BCS were still around, how much different would these rankings look? Personally, and Maddie, I want to hear your thoughts. I think that the BCS was just as political. Yes. It's just there was only two teams, so it was even harder to, to get a fair shake. And there was this fictitious computer model that no one was allowed to see, and no one. And so at, the but at least of, then there was some kind of objective measure, though. Right now they have no criteria, seemingly. Right. And at the end of the day, it was so weighted. But you could take data and weight it in a certain way. So what you do is you say, all right, we're going to weight the data heavily towards strength of schedule. And then at the end of the day, a three-loss SEC team would be ranked ahead of Cincinnati because of the strength of schedule. So it's, again, if these things can't be decided. And, and you know what? In America, we love to be able to have things decided on the field. Exactly. Look at March Madness. Four and a half more times dollars wagered on March Madness than the Super Bowl because they decide it on the court. And every once in a while, the underdog almost goes all the way and wins. And you know what? No one ever complains in March Madness when the favorite ever. wins because it was a fair shot. But in this case, when they don't even get a chance, I have a problem with that. And I'll tell you this. I never had a problem with the BCS, and here's why. I didn't either. A lot of people forget this. Auburn, USC, and LSU, I think it was, all went undefeated one year. And Auburn didn't even make the BCS. They were an undefeated SEC team. Now, this has been about 15 years ago, but shockingly, they didn't even make the BCS title game. And we'll look that up during the break, exactly the scenario. And I could deal with it because it was like the whole idea of the BCS is we're not giving everyone a shot. We're going to pick the best two, and you know, you might be undefeated, but you're the third best. Forget about it. But here we're kind of implying by saying a two-loss Florida team could make it, but the undefeated Cincinnati can't, the undefeated Coastal Carolina can't, it means there's no chance for those teams. Because I get it. If all the big teams, you know, if every conference had an undefeated champion, they, they are the better team probably. But how can you say a two-loss team is better? 
So in in 2004, Auburn was 13 and 0 and didn't even get a national championship shot in the BCS. Who played in that BCS game? And I'm fine with that because you know what? The other two teams were undefeated too. But here we're talking about two lost teams being ahead of Cincinnati and the rationale from Colin being because the recruiting rankings. That means it's fixed before the games are even played. It means it's fixed for five years from now. So the season ended today, National Signing Day. Well, that, the that was kind of the over. point. That yeah. was kind of the point. All right. Whew. When we come back, we'll see about who that in that national championship game. I'm pretty sure it was USC. But also, there's a huge NFL weekend coming up. We're going to be talking about the biggest games and some of the biggest stories around those games. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. I disagree with intervention. I disagree with protocol. If you speak out against the words, then the heavens gonna fall. I'm RJ Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. Coming up here in just a couple of moments, we will take a closer look at an AFC contender that has struggled the past couple of weeks. Yeah, it's going to be a little contentious about those Steelers. (laughs) It's a good day to join us. This is the fastest growing show on Fox Sports Radio. Audiences doubled in the last year plus. Thank you so much for the support. We promise to finish this football season strong. Keep it going as the best one yet. You can listen on the iHeartRadio app. Just search for Straight Out of Vegas. Here in Vegas, right now on the Strip, 57 degrees. The neon is pumping. So, RJ, the Pittsburgh Steelers started off the season 11-0. They have dropped back-to-back games, and now they find themselves on the road Monday night at Cincinnati, but a 13-point favor, courtesy of pregame.com. Yeah, and the real question is, how good is Pittsburgh? What we know is that when they were undefeated, some people thought they were clearly the best team. The best record and the best team don't always go together. Sometimes they do, but sometimes they don't. Now, remember, this is different than the most accomplished team, right? So, with the BCS back in the day, and oh, by the way, that Auburn team 2004, they were an SEC team, obviously, undefeated, didn't even make the BCS game. USC and Oklahoma, both also undefeated, played for the title. USC won. Little complexity later vacated. So <laughs> things get a little complex when it comes to the NCAA, you know, no judgment. But the fact of the matter is, what the college football playoffs is supposed to do is say, well, who's the most accomplished team? You might say, RJ, no, it's the best team. Well, imagine a team that their quarterback was out and a couple other players and they lost three games. Do you see any now when they came back, maybe they were clearly the best team, just rolling over people. You think anyone is gonna think they should be in the college football playoffs? No, they lost three games. They can't be. It's about accomplishment. That's what it's about. They don't don't want to say it because that means it locks them into something. But it's irrational that the college football would be about anything else. In the NFL, when we do power rankings, it's about how good is this team today. We want to predict the future. So for example, the Steelers, everybody knows. And I'm not going to try to counteract the Steelers anti-crowd here, but Bud Dupree out, um, Devin Bush out. That team is a different team, the Steelers, today than they were when they had those players. When we rank them today, it'd be absurd 
to rank them based upon Bud Dupree's contribution. But if we were ranking them based on accomplishment, it would be about what was accomplished with those players. It's one's forward-looking and one's backward-looking. Vegas is forward-looking. We want to figure out what's going to happen next. As you do your power rankings from a Vegas perspective every week, I agree with it mostly. I disagree with it sometimes. I disagree with your, I think, general pessimism about the Steelers. Maddie agrees with you. I'm going to let you guys have first word. Yeah, so I have Pittsburgh my number five team right now. And frankly, I dropped them before that loss against Buffalo in my rankings because of these injuries and the fact that they just weren't playing as well as the dominant Steeler team that we saw in September and October. However, I think there's a little caveat here. We shouldn't overreact to the Buffalo loss. That was Pittsburgh's third game in 11 days. Frankly, we saw in Pittsburgh's first loss, they were dominating Washington. They're up 14 to nothing. And then in the second half, Pittsburgh, on a short week, they clearly didn't have the energy. And the same thing really happened against the Buffalo Bills. Pittsburgh had a 7-3 lead right before the end of the first half. And then Buffalo absolutely got the better of Pittsburgh in the second half. But that Pittsburgh D was shutting down Buffalo that entire first half and held them in control the entire game. We really shouldn't dock Pittsburgh. And they didn't even have a bye since week four. And that bye was a fake bye because they thought they'd have to play. You know what great debating is, Jonas, is when you don't even have to debate. The other person's <laughs> so scared, they're making all your points for you. So, Steve, I agree with most almost everything you just said. So, they're fifth? Yes. <laughs> it doesn't make sense that you're saying, let's not dock them. So, really, you're saying effectively when, with a fair shot, they're undefeated. Yes. But they're the fifth best team. Well, I still look at these injuries, and everyone's so but, close, RJ. But hold on, hold on. If you say everyone's so close, then why don't you have them tied? Right now, you're saying the Steelers are the fifth best team. Yes. So, if you want to beg off the debate and say, you know, it's kind of close to the second, then just say you're right, RJ. Steelers could be the second best. We're talking an eighth of a point, a twelfth of a point. Fine. Or you let's let Matty Holt, who is going to have a little more... Uh, Testicular fortitude is that I think the right the, the right phrase, Matty. To me, it's not just about the injuries, and I think that Bud Dupree and Devin Bush are very important to this defense. But it's also about that that week four unexpected buy. If anyone needed a later buy or at least a midseason planned rest, it was Big Ben, and the fatigue is starting to set in. He has one that not one long touchdown, one completion over thirty yards in the last four games. He's not able to throw the football down the field. He's even talking about, if I can't play better, I need to retire. You don't like to hear those. He's been saying that since he was 23. Sure. I think you're right. What I'm saying is Big Ben knows how to be self-critical without really being self-critical. So I I wouldn't take it as a sign that he thinks he's playing bad. But but I agree he is playing bad. Offense has failed to even hit 20 points once last three games. All right. So here's the question. How much do we just look at the scores and how much do we rationalize the scores based on circumstances? Because if you just look at the scores, there's no debate. The mathematics is going to dictate, right? And Pittsburgh, probably fifth is about right if it's just purely mathematical. I believe you got to account, and, and Maddie, you bring up an interesting point, and this is a real debate about what power rankings are even supposed to represent. Let's say Pittsburgh is a half a point worse because they're fatigued, because of their schedule, not having a bye. 
Is that do you downgrade them for that within the power rankings, or do you say this team, all things equal, is the second best team? But now I'm going to make an adjustment because of their fatigue. It, like, I and guess different it people do this differently. Yeah, I guess it depends what you're using your power rankings for. Here in Vegas, we use them to bet or make odds. And when you're using them to bet or make odds, you have to take everything into account. Well, and but, if that but, team me, is fatigued, they're a half a point worse. But let me use an example here. The Browns, let's say, match up poorly against the Ravens. Even though they played a good game Monday, I think it's not a great matchup for them. Do you build that into the Browns' power rankings for that week? Or do you say, hey, the Browns are this good in a vacuum, Ravens are this good, now we're going to adjust because Ravens have a matchup edge. And if it's that way, which I'm certain it's that way, the question is something like fatigue. Like, Does a team's power rankings go up during a bye week? Because some people bring them up. They're saying, hey, they've gotten rested. That never felt right to me. It always feels like that should be an offset. I guess to some degree... It's semantics, this debate, but it does. I think Pittsburgh, if given a fair shot, the truth of the, of the strength of the team is they're probably the second best team. I think circumstances are dragging them down. Do you agree with that? Because if so, we agree. And in this case, the circumstances being the fatigue. The injuries are part of who they are right now. The fatigue isn't. Correct. The fatigue isn't. It's circumstances that are disadvantageous to their situation. Now, it may be that they never get to recover from them. Exactly. And that's the problem. This Monday night, on the road at Cincinnati. So then they're going to have another short week, week 16, then week 17 at Cleveland. So two of their next three on the road. They just played on the road at Buffalo. Well, I think the bigger problem is no buy. No buy. Yeah. I mean, no it's buy. a 5% chance right now that the Steelers get to buy. No and buy are, with an old quarterback. And are they going to have a week where they say, you know what, we're not going to get the number one seed and we're going to rest our starters? I actually think this is a rare case where that makes complete sense for this team. Which gets back to Jonas's insidiousness of only one <laughs> buy. <laughs> I'm going to get you converted on that, Jonas. I'm going to have one more thought on Pittsburgh. But first, Jonas, from your perspective, do you disagree with anything strongly that's been discussed here about the Steelers? Uh, no, I'm just in a holding pattern when it comes to the Steelers because I don't know what to make of them. And, and this may just go on the rest of the season based on the fact that I don't know if this is fatigue. I don't know if maybe they they were just overrated. I don't know because I don't think they've been, really been given a fair, even playing field the past three weeks based on their schedule. Uh, the the but it was fair before that, right? And uh, they were undefeated. I mean, I think before that we had a, a decent idea as to who they were at the time, and then all of a sudden you had a game get moved back. You had another game go, go to a Tuesday, I think, or they played a Monday at five Eastern time. There was just all this mixing and matching. I think this week will be the best that they look um, just based on they are going to get an extra day because it is a Monday night game. So I feel like this week they're going to look a little bit more like themselves. But Steve's right. Then they go right back to a short week. My big question for them moving forward is when does Mike Tomlin realize we don't have a shot at the number one seed? Forget about having to go on the road if we have to go on the road. I got to get my quarterback some rest and I'm going to sit him for a game. I just wonder when that happens, when that conversation happens. You know, just NFL athletes and coaches don't tend to think that way. Maybe it's smart. I don't know. Let's do this. I have a a take on Pittsburgh that literally changed this morning. I was an optimist on Pittsburgh, thinking if they can just get a little bit of rest, they're going to be fine. I mean, because don't forget, against Buffalo, not only 
Bush and Dupree out, but they had two other linebackers out. They had their inside linebackers were literally practice squad guys, and they had an amazing defensive performance against the Bills. It was amazing in the first half specifically. They held them to the bottom 4% of the league in yards per attempt this year. So, like, literally about 1 in 25 games does the defense play as well as Pittsburgh played in the first half against the Bills, who's a really good offense. But, again, fatigue got him in the second half. So, I was so optimistic about the D. But I got to tell you something. Now, I heard something today. I thought about it. I'm even more pessimistic about the Steelers' offense. Be sure to catch live editions of Straight Out of Vegas weekdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. He's the voice of Vegas, R.J. Bell. I strongly feel, even with the injuries, there's not cause for pessimism with the Steelers' D. I think there's cause for optimism with the D. With the offense, I was against the typical people who said, you've got to run the ball to win. In my opinion, in the NFL modern era, if you have an efficient short passing game, it can be a proxy for running the ball. And New England Patriots are a perfect example of that. In years past, with Brady, they didn't run very effectively at all, but they effectively ran by throwing the ball. And I thought, hey, Tomlin's finally entering the modern era. Here's what I didn't think through. In order to have as Pro Football Focus called it, death by a thousand cuts, which is the idea of five yards, seven yards, five yards, seven, which can be an efficient offense, you got to hardly ever make mistakes. If you're going to trade explosiveness, not going downfield, so you're not explosive, for efficiency, you've got to be efficient. Mm. And Pittsburgh's culture, just the ethos under Tomlin, has been we're so talented, we don't have to worry about all the details. And because of that, all the drops... That's the problem. It's not like Pittsburgh's playing any worse on offense except for those drops. And when you need a third and three, if you can't run for it on third and one, you better not drop the ball very much because now you have to punt. So in a way, my optimism on the offense for the Steelers has decreased because I don't see without explosiveness and without efficiency, I don't know what you got. And as we've seen, Steelers don't have much on offense lately. When we come back, the three biggest games of the week. Kansas City, who's number one in most rankings, playing number two in some, the Saints. We got Hurts, what's going to happen in week two, and the Browns flexed into Sunday night. That's coming up next. He's RJ Bell. I'm Jonas Knox. This is the pregame show you've always wanted right here on Fox Sports Radio. Right out of Vegas! Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I'm R.J. Bell. We are straight out of Vegas. And I'm Jonas Knox, voice of you, the fan. So, R.J., it is the Wednesday tradition here on SOV. The three biggest games in the NFL, we take an early look. And we start in New Orleans, where the Saints are hosting the Chiefs right now on pregame.com. KC is a three-point favorite. Matty Holt, usintegrity.com, former bookmaker. What's your take on this game? 
I'm sorry. Oh, we're talking the Kansas City game versus the So Saints. I think at the end of the day, it's the New Orleans offense that has struggled mightily, really, since Drew Brees went down. And everyone, you know, I think it's been hidden or at least covered up a little bit how poorly maybe or how inefficient this offense has been because they got the opportunity to play a Denver team with literally no quarterbacks. And that game turned into a rout. And then Atlanta couldn't do anything against New Orleans. But the offense for New Orleans was inefficient in both of those games. We know a team's best indicator on their uh, ability to win a football game is the ability to throw the ball. New Orleans isn't doing that right now. I think I lean Kansas City. Yeah, so, I mean, with Drew Brees, which we're not expecting this week, Saints are the second-best team in your power rankings, right, Fez? Yes, they are. And I tend to agree with that. And I think everyone got caught up in the 8-0 uh, without Breeze and how great of a coach, and I certainly did to some degree Sean Payton is, but I mean, I don't know what kind of downgrade you even make. I mean, this is one of the most difficult upgrades or downgrades I can imagine because there's a lot of doubts about Breeze. Even though his stats are really good in some ways, noodle arm, as Maddie has said many times. And then on the other hand, the idea is that Taysom Hill, though somewhat effective at times, hasn't been affected effective in the conventional sense of a quarterback, which that probably doesn't do as well against a team as good as Kansas City, where it could even against an Atlanta. Because Atlanta's not a bad team. We can't just say, the record's not good, but we can't say, wow, just the Falcons. But maybe that's a matchup. They're in division. Sean Payton is a genius. Fez, what do you think on this game? Yeah, so travel. Tough travel for Kansas City. This is their fourth road trip the last five games. Every one of these road trips has been a 1,000 miles or further. That's going to catch up to a team. Yeah, but when you don't even try the whole game like Kansas City, (laughs) do you really get tired? The second of our three biggest games, RJ, the Eagles start number two for Jalen Hurts. It's at the Cardinals, Arizona, a seven-point favorite on pregame.com. Matty Holt. Look, I, I think the whole key here is can Jalen Hurts replicate his the performance he had last week in his first start? If he rushes for over 100 yards again, they're going to be a difficult team to beat. I mean, Philadelphia's defense has played well all year. You know, while he also had trouble throwing the football last week, he ran the ball amazingly effectively. If he can replicate that performance, Philly's going to be tough. So another running quarterback in this matchup. Yeah, Kyler Murray has been hampered by injury. Arizona's lost three straight games, had lost three straight games. He hadn't been running five carries in each of those three losses last week. Murray ran 13 times for 47 yards. So not particularly effective, but at least his willingness to run is important. Remember, if you look at pro football focus, his grade on passing. Hertz was the 39th ranked quarterback out of 40, but he was the second most effective runner based on QBR. The Browns and Giants reflects to Sunday night football in New Jersey, where Cleveland finds themselves a five-point favorite on pregame.com. Bye-bye, Cowboys. Hello, Browns. You know, what worries me here is Daniel Jones still questionable early in the week, and I would actually prefer Colt McCoy in this situation than Daniel Jones. The one thing Cleveland does is put pressure on opposing quarterbacks. Daniel Jones, more interceptions than touchdowns this year. If you're looking for New York, you probably don't want Daniel Jones against this defense. We've been talking about how for certain quarterbacks running the ball is important. If it is important and that quarterback is hobbled, Run away. Yeah, and Daniel Jones, zero carries last week. He's been averaging five per game. That's a big issue. Hamstring injury, and now he has a second leg injury. Not a good sign. 
Browns' worse defense than people realize. You started getting a touch on Monday night, but check this out. They had three win games that it was so windy, it was hard to really rank the defense. In the other 10 fair weather games, the Browns have given up 33 points per game. That's over eight more points per game than Vegas expected. Coincidentally, in a related matter, eight overs and two unders in those games. So as much as Baker's playing well, and let's give him credit, that Browns D has some big names, but they're not as good as people think. If you missed any of today's show, including a deep dive in the college football playoff rankings, plus a look at the three biggest games in the NFL this weekend, you can check out the podcast at always always at foxsportsradio.com. Just search straight out of Vegas. We are back tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern time, 3 o'clock Pacific, right here on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find the show, as always, on the iHeartRadio app. Straight out of Vegas! 